everyone to an episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. Your host, Travis and John. John, how was that? It was pretty good. We had uh, Dr. Toby, a uh, cognitive performance coach. Yeah. Um, I think this is a really good one. I think if you're brand new to the sport, uh, you should definitely listen to this one because it's going to save you a lot of heartache that you'll figure out on your own. <laughs> if you've been doing it for a couple years, you're going to listen to this and go, man, I wish I'd have heard this right when I started. Right. This uh, Dr. Toby is a psychologist like he mentioned and it's a great conversation absolutely phenomenal um the some of the stuff that we covered like john mentioned was just like it was like eye-opening man like setting intentionality when you train like we all know that but he really goes dives deep into it um and you know things like that it's it's just a it's, it's man it's just a good conversation what was some of the stuff we covered man we talk about a lot. Um, he talks about imposter syndrome. Um, he's going to talk about a lot of things people probably go through right now with um, showing up on the mats and or if they're mentally there, you know, if they're if they're present in the moment. Uh, when he's talking about if you're not, you know, how you're losing kind of some awareness and percentages. In my head, I'm thinking basically you're like a computer that's running too many programs <laughs> and you need to shut them all down and just focus on the one. But yeah. A, a lot of good stuff in there. And like I said, uh, practitioners have been doing this for a while is probably going to realize they've already figured out a bunch of this for the new person it's going to be a, a treasure trove yeah he works with like high level athletes but i didn't want to the majority of the people that listen to our show aren't high level athletes so i really try to cater the questions we try to cater the questions and and the conversation more towards like the everyday practitioner but there are some people out there that listen to us that do want to compete and want to be a competitive person so we we definitely touch on that too but we try to grab all aspects in this conversation so it's just it's just a phenomenal conversation uh he's very well spoken great guy he has a rock climbing wall in his house i mean you'll hear within the first five seconds like it's it's freaking cool. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Uh, but everything's going to be down in the description below if you guys want to go follow him and check his stuff out. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening and watching at home. And uh, peace. Later. Peace. Breaking news. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave. The technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make sure your drapes match your carpet by going to manscape.com and using the code etp20 for 20 percent off and free shipping again that's etp20 for 20 percent off and free shipping it's time to tame your mane no one likes a weird beard so say goodbye to the stubble trouble with manscapes pro beard kit my wife hates when i have stubble checks that she's like don't even kiss me trim that mustache and same, th- thanks same. manscape for making it possible now it all starts with the beard hedger this thing is a juggernaut for fixing faces. First off, the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 haircutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extras and add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be hard. Get 20 different beard lengths and just one guard. The Pro Beer Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beer brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off in free shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code ETP20. Manscaped, Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Thanks, Manscaped, for sponsoring this episode. Dr. Toby, how's it going today, man? I'm fantastic. How are you guys doing? Doing doing great. I can't complain. 
It's a. It looks like it's actually going to be a nice sunny day outside today. I know, right? I saw that. I was like, finally. Yeah. You know, we live up in the Pacific Northwest right now, and so you know, three hundred days out of the year, it's cloudy and raining and <laughs> or snowing. So it's a any day that we get a break from that is is a is a beautiful day. Maybe I could go do some bouldering or something like that. Like in like at your house, that thing is so rad, man. I'm so jealous. Yeah, yeah. We're lucky to live in Salt Lake. Luckily, we moved here uh, long enough ago. It was before the property property prices took off but uh yeah i love it out here and yeah in my in my guest bedroom with a little climbing wall that we get to play around on did you guys make that yourself or was it like a kit it came it came with the house oh what? man that Even... was probably the selling point yeah right you it was like in, that's like, it we're taking it <laughs> <laughs> this has things to hang on and and, and be an ape and i'm down yeah <laughs> that's super cool so hey but let's uh let's jump into the interview and for people that don't know who you are at home can you give us a quick background on who you are and, and uh what you offer people yeah absolutely so my name's dr toby i've been a mental performance coach for over a decade now i i started out with a master's in kinesiology and in that time i bumped into uh one of my former high school athletes before that i was a high school teacher and coach for a decade as well and at that time, Adam Piccolotti was just turning from being a um, amateur fighter into pro fighter with uh, with Bellator, and basically just started helping him out. Uh, or let me go back and refresh that story. Sorry about that. <laughs> My dog good. barked there in the background. Um, <laughs> so he was making his first. He was getting his first pro debut, and uh, it, I was in my first semester of, of my master's in kinesiology. I'd read my sports psych book cover to cover uh, by the time I bumped into him and said, hey, do you want to try this stuff out, see if it helps you as a fighter? We started working together. Uh, he went on a huge run. We uh, we went on like an 8-0, 7-0 run uh, as a pro MMA fighter. And with that, that brought me into AKA because he also cross-trained down there. I uh, basically established myself as a... Uh, resident uh, mental performance coach at AKA. I continued on with that, got my mas- finished my master's, got my certification with the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, went on and got a doctorate in performance and sports psychology because I just I felt like I wanted to know more and just wanted to be better as a practitioner. And during that time, just kept building up, uh, you know, basically early pro fighters and managed to get a few guys into the UFC. Uh, Nolan Hernandez is one of those who basically through his whole career, uh, worked with him from his amateur career all the way through uh, two UFC fights and then uh, you know various appearances in Combate and, and other um, promotions like that. Along that time, I was working with all their coaches and all their coaches were various uh, you know real experts in BJJ. So. You know, Raul Castillo is one of those early ones. Uh, Lando Vieira, um, got to know him pretty well and, and got to work with some of the checkmat wrestlers. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to be in the room with Katera. Uh, wow, oh, talk wow. about, yeah, talk about somebody who can do anything to anyone. <laughs> That's, yeah, it, he's amazing to watch. And, and then all of his pros, like Benji Silva, got to uh, spend some time talking to Benji a little bit. Um, and getting to really understand kind of that super elite level of grappler and really got to learn a lot and, and, and provide a lot of help to a lot to various uh, levels of grapplers and BJJ practitioners as well as 
a bunch of pro MMA fighters. So what was it in the book that caught you? You mentioned you read your book back front to back. Like, what was it with that? We were like, this is what I want to do. Like, and you, you reached out and started helping people. Yeah, for me, it was really that um, understanding how we can get out of our own way by being intentional with our minds. And so I was always looking before that as an athlete myself, I was always trying to figure out, um, you know, how can I show up right and just kind of always feel a little bit off. And then all of a sudden when I start reading, you know, all the different interventions and theories behind mental performance, it, it really started to click to me all that experience and all that time coaching high schoolers, uh, really started to understand the theory behind it and realized, oh, it's, uh, you know, the, the brain doesn't necessarily work intuitively. It's kind of counterintuitive at times. For instance, if you're trying to get somebody to, to get their hands up, um, hands up is kind of the wrong thing to tell them because that if their hands are here and you say hands up, they're like, they are up. But if you say <laughs> higher, boom, now you get what you want. And that little subtle difference between hands up and hands higher was an example of one of those things where you start to understand how, how many subtleties exist and how we use our minds in a performance environment. Yeah. When he was telling that story, I was like, uh, remember when, when I'm getting coached and they're telling me to move a certain way and in my head, I'm like, I am. And then they come over and physically put me in that position. I was like, well, just do that next time. Cause what you're saying and the way I'm taking it in is not the same. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Totally. And then, uh, you know, really understanding how to make goal setting actually work for you. Um, I'm sure you guys and, and other people listening have, have set personal goals and just kind of, they sat there and sat there and sat there. And maybe sometimes it was luck that pushed you closer to them. Uh, really understanding kind of how to build not just the goals themselves, but how to create motivation around that. And then how to, how to make that motivation meaningful. So, you know, like setting up small pieces of success so that you actually get psychological momentum going for yourself, knowing how to turn that on, uh, learning how to, actually adapt the way that you think, uh, the way that you talk to yourself so that you learn how to become a better coach for yourself. So what is the biggest difference between, you know, like a sports psychologist and then like a, a, a typical psychologist? Cause can, is it based on more, obviously more around sports? Like, but what's like the biggest difference? Yeah. The biggest difference is I'm looking at how do we get you to do what you want right now? And how do we get you to improve so that you can be that version of yourself that you want to become. Psychologists are more looking at what is holding you back from your past that you need to go in and resolve. Both of those can happen at the same time. I've worked with uh, a number of fighters that have had both uh, a psychologist working through their, through their childhood and then I'm there to make sure that when it's fight night, they're on because, you know, like, you know, at tournaments with fight to wins, if it's the tournaments, the day it is, if you aren't feeling good, the tournament does not care. Right. And so if you want to be a competitor, you have to show up regardless of how you feel. And that's, that's the part that I do that a performance psychologist is different than a counseling psychologist. So, so what you are, may, sorry, go oh, ahead. So, sorry. You may, so you may win the tournament, and still have issues with your spouse when you get oh. home. 
but you're able to do what you want for that tournament. So different parts of your life that we work on. John, John kind of mentioned something before we started recording about like the day to day stuff, right? Yeah. Like, so I mean, what I, the way I'm hearing you, the way I interpret it is you're just helping them get all that bullshit out of their mind. So when it's fight night, like they're solely focused on the fight night, or if you're going to go into training, you're solely focused on training. I was kind of feeling like when you were talking earlier, like you're showing up, right? But you're like, are you really all there? Are you really focused in on the training? Or do you have all these other thoughts that are getting in the way of what you're trying to accomplish in the training? Exactly. And, 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 you know, performance, the, the skills don't show up in performance unless they've been there and rehearsed and practiced. You can't watch a video of Eddie Bravo getting a triangle choke from rubber guard and then go out and use it unless you've drilled that, drilled that, drilled that. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll attest. Same concept with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when, when you talk about, you know, helping these people get out of their own ways, what are like some of the techniques that, that you do use to build this mindset? Yeah. You know, the, the simplest one, and this is one where, uh, it surprised me how prevalent this is and how much it just actually helps, even though it feels low level was really establishing intentions for daily practice, uh, getting, you know, getting practitioners to realize, yeah, your, your, your professor is, you know, he has a plan or she has a plan for kind of direction that they're taking the class, not necessarily where they're taking you. And so you, as a practitioner and as somebody with, you know, striving towards the black belt, you need to learn how to be intentional daily and how to make each day build upon the next, as opposed to just showing up because your practice is from seven thirty to seven to eight thirty, and just showing up at 7 PM and, and go until eight thirty. you know, you go home and shower, you feel like you're getting better, but really because you're not actually being intentional on your skill development, there's no ladder that you're climbing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, Sometimes I feel like I fall into that trap where I know what I want to work on, but maybe what I want to work on is not what they're teaching in class. So, you know, there's always that uh, that mix up as well. So it's like it's interesting. It's finding the time to try to be intentional with what you want to work on sometimes versus what we're teaching the class. Exactly. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be specific to a move. Maybe it's just being better at being comfortable from bottom. Mm-hmm. And then it's realizing, hey, we're working on sweeps today. I can work on being comfortable from bottom as part of working on sweeps. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that, so for the whole week, I'm working on being more comfortable at being on bottom. And the way I'm showing that is I'm opening my guard more often. So in sparring, whenever anybody sees me in sparring, they're seeing me with my guard open more because I'm trying to attack as opposed to keeping it closed because I just fear losing control when I'm on bottom. Yeah. I, I know, you know, one of the, the struggles that a lot of people have is, you know, that growth mindset of jujitsu and not, and letting go of the fear of not winning in practice, or, you know, they, a lot of people don't want to accept failure as growth. How, how do you help people work past that? Yeah, that's where it really becomes being more focused on how you're changing your your style. So winning is a result of a good style. So it's get first kind of making that difference. 
and then realizing practice is about perfecting that style. And so the way we actually create that in the mind is then we're going to set weekly goals that are around things like um, becoming more aggressive from guard. And so then it's, you know, so today what the goal is, is to never keep my guard closed for more than 10 seconds as an example goal. And so I'm going to lose a lot doing that because I'm probably going to be in situations because I'm, I'm trying, right. when I'm trying, yeah. I'm going to make mistakes. And when I make mistakes, I'm probably going to get caught. I'm going to learn not to do that. And then I start to realize, oh, it's getting further and further before I get caught. It's being able to figure out that edge and ride in on that edge of control and losing control that makes practice fun. Winning starts to be less of a important thing to me because I've set up a game where I'm, I'm, I'm playing against myself. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you, you mentioned at the end there that you're playing a game against yourself because, you know, I, I mean, John and I can attest to it too. Like you always feel like you have to do something to, to beat the other person. You know what I mean? And when we look at, you know, progression in jujitsu, like you just mentioned too, like it's the little things that can, that can make a big difference, right? Like these little things add up over time to create these bigger and grander, um, uh, progressions and goals that you get, right? We always talk about micro and macro goals. Like you got to understand like what the small aspects of your major goal are in order to progress to that major goal. How do you, how do you handle goal setting with people when, when you work with them? Yeah. So what I really try to get them to do is, I mean, everybody comes up with kind of, Hey, yeah, I want to, I want to get a medal at Pan Am's this year. And so that's, that's a great goal to have for sure. That's something that drives you something you want. It's not as controllable though, as what your skill is going to be when you show up to Pan Am's as what your approach is going to be when you show up to Pan Am's. And so we start to convert that winning goal to, well, what, what would make you the practitioner that's most likely to win? And so one of that, one of the items in that is going to be starting your weight cut early so that you aren't crashing out. Uh, you aren't sitting there Thursday night in the sauna, just killing yourself to make weight for weigh-ins Friday morning or Saturday morning. Uh, instead you're, you're actually planning that out. So, so there's one place where you get better, where you're, you're who you are at that performance is going to be a little bit better. Then it's, what is your strategy? Are you going to be on the attack? Or are you going to be trying to be more of a counter player? Um, are you going to be a guard puller or are you going to take people down? How are we going to build that into practice? How are we going to make sure that your sparring starts to be more about you establishing your key eye, your, your offense, your, you know, your plan, as opposed to walking in there and you start risk fighting and then you're not really in any sort of intention. You're just kind of, risk fighting and thinking about, oh, is this person going to go or should I pull guard here? Should I grab their leg? Whatever it is, but then your thoughts aren't as ideal. So let's make practice fit or let's make items in practice actually force you into doing the behaviors that you want to have show up at that tournament. So spar more standing up, stay after practice a little bit and work on some of your takedowns. You know, little things like that. Um, 
how are you going to be talking to yourself when you're, when you're in the pen? Are you going to be sitting there looking at other people, going through your head about, oh, this guy did this, this guy did that. Oh, I remember this person was so good at that. Or are you going to be going through your strategy? Are you going to be thinking, man, I'm going to take down this person. I'm just gonna, I can't wait to get my hands on my opponent and just start moving them around. And so it's really, and then we take that and that has to be how you spar, right? You have to rehearse it for your sparring. So it's really, what's everything that you're going to be to get that win? And then how do we actually make sure you become that through all the practice that leads up to that tournament? And then because you've done it so much in practice, that becomes what you fall back to when the stress is on. Because so, trying to come up with something new and there's high stress, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I was kind of leads into my, my next question. Um, you know, as, as dads, husbands, uh, you know, practitioners, a lot of the times we already come into practice stressed from our day-to-day lives. And, you know, uh, being a husband, you know, is a very stressful thing. Being a dad is a very stressful thing. How can we, as, you know... I don't ever plan on winning a world championship, but I feel like that doesn't mean that I can't take away from some of the things that you're talking about. You know what I mean? How can I implement this as just, you know, a, a hobbyist practitioner the second I walk through that door and practice to where I can separate the two? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, when you bow to come into the mat, be grateful that it's your time to be on the mat. Realize that when you step over that threshold, when you step onto the mat, you're stepping in to that world of jiu-jitsu. You're stepping out of the other world. The reason only people in the class can be on that mat is because that mat, that time, it's like a wall keeping everything else out. And, And yeah, you can't do that instantly, but if you tell yourself every single day, when you make that bow to get on the mat, you make that intentional and you remind yourself, Hey, as I'm bowing, I'm letting everything else fall away. I'm moving into jujitsu practitioner mode. And I don't care if it's your first week as a white belt. If it's your first week as a white belt, it should actually be easier because this is something <laughs> brand new. So be excited about it. Yeah. Um, you know, the brown belts generally are the ones who have kind of more trouble with that. I've found. Uh, purple belts, brown belts, because jujitsu is super familiar for them. They know what they're doing. So now their minds are finally at that place where the outside thoughts can come in because the complexity of the sport isn't so great that their minds are already just taxed out from being anywhere. And that's for them. That's where it really becomes important that they really start to tune back into the ritual of that bow and, and what that bow should mean to them. And how they, as advanced practitioners, should make that part of their overall practice. Uh, for the you know, for for MMA fighters, it was always telling them, "Hey, that cage, when they shut that door, it keeps everybody else out. It's not to keep you in. You get to do whatever you want when that cage door is shut. Like that's a privilege. No, very few people get to do that. Jiu-Jitsu is the same way." That once you step on that mat, like you really get to be in this isolated world that it's just doing jujitsu right now. And, and it's really then going back and kind of 
you know, for some people, it's good to just journal about it. Hey, today, you know, like for five minutes or even five seconds after practice, just talk about how it felt good. Talk about the move that you really enjoyed doing. Talk about what felt good in sparring or something like that. But something really focused on the positive of it. Because what that's going to do is that's going to build in, that's going to build stronger links into your memory towards those feelings that you want to have every time you go out there. And so it's really being deliberate and habitual to train the mind to think the new way you want. And that's how you reprogram the subconscious is just repeated actions. It's everything's learned. Yeah, I think reflection is one thing that not enough people appreciate when it comes to practice or when it comes to jujitsu. Uh, when I was in college, one of the things that they talk about, I got a, I got a business degree in college. And one thing they talk about is, you know, you have to look at what you did in the past in order to understand what worked and what didn't work. Right. If you never reflect on the mistakes that you made or the, the victories that you have, then you're less likely to learn from them. When you implement reflection for people, how does that look besides like journaling? Do you, do you have them like, hey, you know, when you get home, I want you to visualize what happened in practice, how you can get out of it, or like, what are some techniques that you can use? Yeah, so usually when, when I start a reflective practice with somebody, um, you know, sometimes they just don't have it. And so if you don't even have one, I think the best start is really uh, social media is a, great, is a great tool for that. Because you can do a quick Instagram or TikTok video just talking about, hey, today's practice was good because of this, because of that. Mm. I use the social media because it's got its own built-in motivation to keep that person wanting to do that after practice. So it gives them a little bit of reward. So it kind of encourages the behavior. And then we start, and then usually what I'll also do is I'll give them a, a handout with just, you know, based upon our conversation, I'll give them a list of uh, prompts to have for their journaling. So it could be, um, hey, of these five, pick one each day. Today I felt, today I came in here, I came in here with this happened. I felt this way. I got on the mats. I started rolling. I started feeling this way. Next time I want to feel this way, right? That type of thing where it just, you go through and you just become aware. For me, it's really developing awareness. That's the reason I want people to reflect in journal is because I want them to actually uh, take the time to realize how they were in that moment. It's otherwise, if you don't journal, you're just kind of hoping that you remember those things, mm. but because you're never actually putting real attention to them, it, it's, it's random if you're going to remember them or not. And so that's really, for me, it's like capture the stuff that that's important. And so depending on your level, what's important and depending on what your obstacles are, what's important could change. If your obstacles are just not being in your head about what's going on at work or at home, then, you know, it's building awareness about when your focus is on your grips or your focus is on the move, how that works better for you. Um, and just getting some awareness around that. If you're a more advanced practitioner, maybe it's more realizing in your reflections, realizing that there's certain things that you're doing, certain uh, um, habits that you have, and maybe it's being you know, a little bit lazy with your lapel grip or something like that. 
and you start reflecting on when you were actually intentional in that and how that worked and how you were able to get intentional, you start learning yourself better. And now you start learning your own strategies to get there. Cause I can help you tell you where your memory, where you want your thoughts to go. And I can help you figure out how to guide where to put your attention, but that fine tuning that's individual that like I can get you in the room, but I can't tell you which chair necessarily to sit on. We have to work together to figure out which part of that room you should be in. If that makes sense. How how does that work for like uh, accountability with some of your, um, like, how does that work? I feel like if me and you were in business, right. I feel like, man, he's going to hold me accountable. Like, how are you tracking that? And what happens if they're kind of like not doing the things that they agreed upon? Yeah. So for me, so motivation is a huge thing that we actually study in kinesiology. And that was really the best part about getting a master's in kinesiology versus uh, psychology was that deep, deep study into, into motivation, especially motivation in athletic environments. Um, accountability, the way I give accountability is I remind people of their goals. I remind people of what steps they said would get them there. So I'll explain to them how journaling will help them. I'll give them another couple options that we can focus on, but we're only going to do one thing instead of five things at once. Mm. And if they choose the journaling, then I'm texting them, Hey, how is the journaling going? Have you had struggles with it? Not, did you do it? Oh, gotcha. That way they, I get them to realize, Oh, that, I'm just asking you if you're staying committed to yourself and I'm just holding the mirror in front of you. That's way more effective Mm -hmm. for motivation, for long-term motivation than me creating rewards if they do it for a certain number of days or than me kind of being, um, you know, an enforcer on them telling them, you know, creating ultimatums of like, you need to do this or else, you know, I'm going to do this. Or here's going to be the consequences. Instead, it's okay. Like you commit, you said you wanted to do this, but you're not doing it. So should we find something else? Um, what's going on? Why are you not holding yourself accountable to it? Yeah, I'm just reminding like, you that for like the um, the hobbyist, you know, trying to stay yeah. motivated long term and going, you know. And I guess when I'm not feeling motivated, my wife's probably the one that's like, "You're paying for this, or you're not going." <laughs> And then yeah. it's like, oh, you're right. I am paying for it. Like, you know, that's that's part of it, right? But, Monetary value is a big, big motivation. Yeah, but it'd be nice to try to figure some other ways other than, you know, for, for positive motivation, other than, you know, you're paying for it and the money's just kicking it. And, you know, yeah, well, if you're paying for those tools. Right. And if you're paying for it, it means that at one point you decided this is valuable to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's, so I think the question is less. Hey, why aren't you showing up if you're paying for this? It's, does this not feel valuable to you anymore? Did you lose touch with that? What were the things that you, that, uh, that made you want to pay for this in the first place? And then it'll probably come out. Well, actually I've been too busy and now I kind of have built this story in my head that it's hard to get back. And you're like, no, 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 just come in. Right. Absolutely. Support for elbows tight is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle. 
the performance package. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. That's a lot of balls, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) When Manscaped reached out to work with us, I instantly thought, yes, what a deal. I've been using Manscaped products for a while now, and when they mentioned helping out with the podcast, I I thought it was a no-brainer. I have the Lawnmower 4.0 now, but I had the Lawnmower 3.0 and absolutely loved it. Also, most people think about manscaped as just trimmers but really they have ball deodorant ball toner the weed whacker which is your favorite thing right john yeah i love the weed whacker look i'm about to hit like 45 years old so i got hair growing out of everywhere now so it's coming out my ears i'm like man where is that weed whacker it's definitely my favorite (laughs) get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code etp20 at manscaped that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code etp20 Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools to get the job done with Manscaped. Yeah, why? Why in the jujitsu community we often joke about blue belt blues, right? Because I think jujitsu practitioners, especially when they're white belts, you see that blue belt as the first major goal. I saw a thing on uh, Instagram the other day. There's only two major belts in jujitsu: it's blue belt and black belt. You know, all the other belts don't really people aren't as excited about them as your blue belt. And, you know, we often hear the joke about, you know, blue belt blues, you, you get your blue belt and you quit. Why do you think that there there are people that they they achieve this goal and then all of a sudden they're like, OK, well, that's it. Like, what, what, what do you think that's from? Yeah, I I could think of a few different scenarios where where somebody gets a blue belt and then kind of just fade off. One one could be that they they've been at it and they've been pushing through it and they thought at the next level, their enjoyment of it would change. Jiu-Jitsu, I love jujitsu. I love grappling. I love getting on the mats. Um, I'm also an extreme skier and I also do long endurance mountain bike races. I do like 12 hour mountain bike races that are on trail. So for me, I don't really do jujitsu when I'm leaning up to my mountain bike races because you know, you get the, the hyper, blue belt and boom now your elbow's out for a little bit because they just <laughs> got a little excited on a move or whatever it is um so it could be just that they like that they realize this isn't the sport for them uh that that's one scenario probably pretty rare i think more common is that they felt their ability to get better would somehow speed up at each belt level mm-hmm. that that belt would change who they are as opposed to realizing, no, you changed. And so now you have this belt. And so it's, I think sometimes people think the belt means something versus no, the belt shows that you became something. The belt's a reflection of how you've been over a period of time. It's not, I, I think people just somehow think it's like a magic wand somehow at time, or I think there's a handful of people that think that that all of a sudden is going to change things. They're going to win more on the mat. That could be the other thing is that they think the belt means, you know, that they got to win or the belt means they need to somehow hold themselves to a new higher standard as opposed to thinking, okay, I got to this. Now what's the next target versus 
I got to this, and this means I have to be something right now versus this re represents, okay, now my growth needs to start being more on offense versus just survival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, a good I, point because, you know, they get that, you know, a lot of people probably are like, man, I got this blue belt. I'm, now these white belts aren't going to smash me no more. Nope. Mm -mm, you can yeah. still get smashed. Yeah. Like, and I think if they just stay in it longer, they'll come to the realization that belts are important. But, I mean, if your technique's good, I mean, it doesn't really matter what belt you're wearing. Anyone can get caught. Exactly. I mean, imagine imagine Aaron Pico shows up or Ed Ruth shows up through jiu-jitsu practice, right? I mean, I remember seeing Ed Ruth as a, as a white belt at AKA. And I'll tell you, man, that was... That was not that was not a white belt level skill. <laughs> yeah, we had a a high level black belt in the gym for a seminar once and watching like high level competing black belt versus your um your hobbyists that are in the class two or three times a week, we're like, whoo, totally different level. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's that's a good point too, is we we see people with the same belt color as us, right? We'll see someone that wins like Pan Ams as a blue belt. And I'm like, Jesus, man, that guy is same age, same size as me. And he, I, I would just, he would just absolutely destroy me. And then it kind of, that imposter syndrome kicks in, right? It's like, well, do I actually deserve this blue belt? Can you go into how to overcome a imposter syndrome and like, what's the core cause of it? Yeah. And he kind of outlined it right there. Imposter syndrome especially in a jiu-jitsu situation is largely going to be based upon making a lot of external comparisons. So am I as good as this guy? These blue belts are beating me. That's, that's the wrong place to be looking at as a blue belt. Are there people in your class that you want to tap more that have been tapping you a bunch? So that's one thing, but does that mean, does that mean that you deserve your belt? Now you're starting to, you're starting to overgeneralize and you're not, you're not getting self-reference. So I think for that, you know, one of the first things for imposter syndrome starts to be what are goals for your own uh, style, for your own jujitsu that you want to start working on? You know, is it, is it improving your guard? And then if it's improving your guard, it's what specifically about your guard do we want to improve? Is it, or is it your, um, is it in certain situations you need to learn how to slow down? Is it that you're always going too fast? So you're always trying to move too quick. And so, so that question has nothing to do with anybody else. And so it's starting to, you know, really what you want to do is you want to have more questions about what am I doing? What are ways that I'm going to improve so that the number of questions that you have in terms of how good am I compared to these people starts to be a smaller number and a quieter voice than the, what are you doing for yourself? So that's one of the first places I start. The other is to really recognize where you've had success. Uh, if, if you're feeling imposter syndrome at a higher belt level, realize you got to a higher belt level and then go back and think about all the struggles that you've had in the past. And be honest about yourself because there probably were. Um, I know as a perpetual white belt, it's like it's figuring out how to be confident when somebody's just like, ah, I feel like smashing today and I got a black belt, so you got nothing you can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and it's realizing to stay calm in those moments and to realize and to to be like you know to 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 understand two things one is yeah i'm safe i can always tap so if i'm feeling physically in fear like that i would say go talk to your professor and your professor is going to explain to you how you're 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 okay there um because that needs to be a conversation with your professor. That's not go see somebody outside your gym to, to figure out. Really work that out. Have the courage to talk to your professor about that. Because uh, I bet your professor is actually going to like that conversation with you. Like that's going to be one of the fun ones for him or her. Uh, so that's, you know, it's starting to think what are, what are some of the other um, not true or, or irrational things you're thinking about yourself. Uh, am I not good enough as a blue belt? <laughs> is that a valid question? You know, is that a valid question? Once again, go, ask, go up and ask your professor. He might say, you're fine as a blue belt. Your consistency, that's something that you might need to work on. Mm. And so it's, it's changing it from the focus being on, I'm not enough or I'm not as much as these people to being what am I trying to work on today? What am I trying to become? How far can I get this week? What are the steps I need to do to get to that place at the end of the week? And it'll take time. It'll feel if you got full blown imposter syndrome and you're just every time you step on the mat, you just your inner voice is just in this constant chatter of of you not being enough, of you not being good enough, of your skills being inadequate, of other people being better, you know, it's going to take a few weeks to turn the volume down on that. And it's going to take you being intentional. So then maybe you need to have some self-talk of saying, hey, I'm focused on having stronger grips this week. I'm focused on getting that lapel a little bit higher. I'm focused on... Uh, being willing to open up, being willing to open my guard more. I'm, I'm, uh, or I'm going to focus on establishing a dominant position and then pausing, taking a breath and it's really learning how to establish a dominant position. Uh, you know, uh, one of the, one of the fighters I worked with, he told me, he said, Hey, if you're in, if you're in a good position, you don't need to do anything. Your opponent needs to do something. Yep. And you should wait for your opponent to do something so you can get an even better position. Yeah, and nice I used to think, oh, off. if I got a good position, <laughs> I got to go, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. I got to look for the submission now. Now there's something else that I need to do. Yeah, I'm not doing enough right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Versus like, hey, no, if that arm's hard to reach, wait for him to bring it over. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's where you're... Like that is the point of where you're at right now. Where you're at right now is to get your opponent to now do the wrong thing. Like I um so that you know it's 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 starting to turn off that focus on am I better than this person to what am I improving on? And it, oh go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say when it when it comes to goals though, do you ever feel like people get so wrapped up into their goal setting and not achieving them that it actually becomes detrimental. Yeah, that if there's the people that can kind of come up with their spreadsheets of goals and have, I'm sure you've seen them where they have, 
either various web apps and stuff like that. And yeah. it's like, it's crazy. Uh, or it, 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 it's intense. It's a lot. And for me, when I see that, I start to try to help them uh, decide, is that the volume that they want to have in their life? Even though they may have put all that stuff on there, because it's become this, this huge list of tasks, now they're controlled. They're controlled by themselves, but they're kind of, it's like they're being controlled by somebody else, even though it's themselves. And so then we try to make, you know, we try to make the goals more about achieving a future vision of who they are, as opposed to checking off boxes. So looking for growth versus looking for accomplishment. I think that's where if the goals are just so hyper accomplishment and there's not much in there in terms of, of growth. And so accomplishment really is everything you're doing ultimately is to, to get more wins or to get more taps or to place higher in tournaments versus being more relaxed on the mat, whether it's somebody good or somebody who's brand new. Be more relaxed. Um, be more intentional, as opposed to on the on the defense, right? However, however you guys talk about it in your gym, it's really getting into that. What's more uh, style? So it's more personal growth versus accomplishment. It's oh, now I can tap out. Um, you know, I'm tapping out ten people this way. There's times where that works, but there's other times where it's got to be less uh, accomplishment based. You know, hearing, hearing him say all these things, I'm like, man, you know, we've done this, right? Like uh, over four or five years, right? Everything you're saying, I'm thinking, yep, done that. Like <laughs> going in, want to be more intentional, right? You're going in, you're like, hey, I'm going to be relaxed. I'm going to breathe, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, wow, it took us, you know, five years of just trial yeah. and error to, to do all these things. And I'm like, now see if we'd had a coach, he would have just told us right from the, the beginning, <laughs> all of these things that saved all that heartache. Right. It's definitely jujitsu has, we, we mentioned this in one of our previous episodes. It's definitely uh, more mental in our eyes. Like it's way more mental uh, growth than physical growth. You know what I mean? Like you definitely become a stronger person mentally, probably before physically, in in jujitsu, why why do you think that is? The it's I mean, when you're starting out, it's brutal. I mean, it really is. Yeah, uh, I think that's one of the big places is, you know, I I've heard it said from multiple different gyms, multiple different uh, uh, programs. <laughs> Your white belt is learning how to survive, and for sure, it's that's a big chunk of it. Is just that. Um, Stepping into the idea that you're going to be in more of a physical environment, I think that's something that modern life that's good and something that modern life doesn't allow much of. And so that's probably for me, that's probably one of the biggest places as people come in. Uh, especially, I mean, I, you know, it's people come to jujitsu kind of after they've been out of athletics for a little bit. Um, you know, you do have your practitioners that are kind of lifetime high school all the way through and they're incredible. And then you have more hobbyists who are, yeah, I need to, I need to actually have something physical in my life again. And they pick jujitsu as that sport. 
and then all of a sudden it's that uh, just onslaught of whoa <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting tapped a lot and i'm getting yeah. smashed and i'm feeling beat up and oh man i got all these uh matt burns and i got bruising and i got black eyes whatever it is and it's just kind of realizing like hey that's yeah it's more physical and that's that's you just being a being a more rounded human Yeah, I agree. I think too. Um, I think you get mentally tough quick too, because like you said, if you're coming into it in your later years, you're physically declining, but you're still mentally sharp, right? So now you're like, man, how can I work this way smarter than being as physical as I want to be, but can't be? I think also when you're when you're older too, you're more patient when it comes to these things too, right? Like when we're younger, uh, I was a welder when I was 16 years old, and. Uh, after I got out of the Navy, I had stopped welding for a couple years, and then I went to go get my weld certifications, and it was like this this moment where I struck my arc for the first time in not welding for a while, and I was like, dude, I am crushing it right now. Like, I'm so much more calm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like 10 years older than I was when I first started, and it was just like a completely different, like, whole idea of what I needed to do. I was just like, I'm just having fun, man. I was like, this is, I'm not worried about nearly as much of the things as I used to be. I'm just way more relaxed. Yeah, and I I felt the same way coming back to jujitsu after um, shoulder surgery. It wasn't nec- it wasn't hard mentally. If anything, it's been easier mentally, but uh, it was just harder physically because I had been out for a while. But it was like having that time off. I don't know if everything uh, just marinated in my brain and, and it went where it needed to go. But it was much easier coming back, and and just mentally, it was just easier. I don't know if that separation helped sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, it's really you know. I, I think the ultimate goal in life is to is to be as uh, I guess holistically rounded as possible. So that means you're not just mental, you're not just physical, you're all right, and you're and you're uh, and you're bold and you're brave. So you're willing to be, you know, you're willing to be vulnerable in places. And you're willing to to feel as opposed to wanting to as opposed to trying to make everything about feeling a certain way. And that's way easier as we get older. Cause, <laughs> We realize, yeah, it's it's not all uh, unicorns and ice cream, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so, but, if people people can't find a, a coach, or they can't afford a coach, or um, but they still want to improve, you know, this whole mental shift in their lives, what are some resources that people can use to to do that? Absolutely. So a few that I have personally, I'm, I'm putting up quite a bit of content. I'm going to start putting up a lot for BJJ. I did a visualization series on my TikTok and YouTube and Instagram. So you can go to fit mind training on Instagram or at Dr. Mojo back on, on TikTok. Um, everybody's like, Oh, you got to have just one for all of them. That's uh, <laughs> just not my style. Right. <laughs> and, and it, you know, I'm starting out TikTok late so that, uh, that, that name was already taken anyway. Um, the other places you can go, there's there's actually quite a bit of online resources. Uh, I'm actually building out coursework on that, fitmindtraining.com. There's a book called Pure Sport. It was probably the best sports psych book I ever read that was really written to be um, kind of in that pop science type of, uh, you know, more accessible, easier to read type of book, not made for academics. Oh man, those are hard to read. Holy crap. Like reading white yeah. papers, I'm like, 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's, you get a doctorate and, and you kind of, you know, you, you learn language for that, for that environment. And then you, you realize, wait, other people don't speak that way. So you gotta tone it down. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm putting up courses and stuff too, but really, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, there's my resources, uh, the association for applied sports psychology, they have some good, just general guide and resources there. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of good stuff on YouTube. I always, I always say watch five different experts and then figure out which way you think fits best for you. Uh, and each, each of those five ways probably work, but you are going to actually do the work with one of those five and to make you get better. It's actually on you doing the work. So you got to, you know, it's, it's like picking jujitsu gems, you know, pick the one that, that you're going to keep showing up to. If it's, uh, if you like it, but it's two hours away, that's probably the wrong gym for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or if it's like between two and you're like, this one's cooler, but I like the people here better. Well, why are you picking the cooler one? <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Cause it's jujitsu. They're both cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. John, you just, you just had an app open. What was that? Well, he said FitMind, and I was like, "Hold on, I got the FitMind app. I wanted to make sure." Oh, FitMindTraining.com yeah. is my uh, is my website. I was like, "Hold on, do I already have this?" <laughs> and I was like, no. So, what do you what do you think it? What is the probably the number one reason why people fail at their their goals and or get in their own way of improving their their mindset when they when they get into something difficult like a jujitsu or MMA or something like that? It, it really, for me, ultimately, it stems down to not being present in the current moment. And what I mean by that is when you're showing up on the mats, are you there to be on the mats or is your, is your attention or your thoughts kind of half divided towards other, other parts of your life? And so that'll cause a lot of problems because then you're operating at a lower percent of who you are. Uh, so that's one of the big ones. The other thing is if you aren't present in the current moment, then that means you're either, you know, it could mean that you're trying to too hard to get that accomplishment and you're too focused on that win. So if, if we're meeting in the center of the mat during a tournament and I'm shaking your hand and I'm trying to fast forward in my mind, to me beating you, then that's a percentage of my thoughts that aren't looking at where are your hands, where are your feet, where are your hips, where's your head? Why are you pulling me this way? Why am I reacting to you? Mm. All those thoughts you should have if you aren't fully present, all that ability to perform in the moment goes away. And then you start feeling frustration. And then frustration comes in and then you start creating judgment on top of that frustration. And then that's where everything starts to blow up and go really south. So that's where people really start stepping on themselves is, is not being able to be present. And so a lot of people, what I really encourage is, is to develop a mindful meditation practice because that really is the best practice ground for being present. Uh, the Wim Hof breathing is fantastic for lowering stress, for, for putting yourself in the zone. Meditation on a long run is better at learning how to be present in the moment. So you should do both, not just what, one or the other. What, what's that breathing technique? You just, the Wim Hof? What is that? 
Wim Hof. That's where, uh, so Wim Hof and is, is one where it's, um, a lot of heavy breathing in and short breaths out, short breaths out. And so it's really, uh, uh, an intense inhale type of breathing method. Um, I mean, he teaches it. I think there's a lot of people in the jiu-jitsu community that, that do that. And it's a great breathing method. And it, and it really brings you up and, and activates you and, and gets your brain really firing. Uh, and so people do that as a regular practice in lieu of meditation. And so the breathing, it helps basically get the brain to be more active or to get it to be less active. It's all sympathetic, parasympathetic type of things whereas meditation is more about not being not being too attached to the to the future and not being too attached to the past so you step on the mat for today with the skills that you have not as opposed to stepping on the mat today with these problems in your life with these other things with all this other stuff going on or with these, it has to be a certain way. I have to get 10 taps today or else I've got another thing that's wrong with me. Instead, it's, hey, like you bowed, you step on the mat, be on the mat. You're, you know, you're doing positional sparring. Be in that position and go to the position you want. That's all that matters right now. And when you start bringing other stuff in, oh, you miss like, you know, you miss their lapel. Oh, I always miss their lapel. Oh, now I'm going to tell myself a story. Well, now you're not in the, in the present anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think we've all been guilty of that, right? Especially yeah. in class. You're like, they're like, you all right, let's, let's practice. Everything. You're like, shit, I totally missed the entire last five minutes <laughs> or whatever they were showing. <laughs> it's like autopilot. When you drive to work, you're so used to the same routine. Yeah, every day. Like, all of a sudden you're I in the parking here. lot and you're like, did I hit anything? <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to go somewhere else and you inadvertently find yourself halfway to work and you're like, wait yeah. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Being present in the moment is a big thing, especially in jujitsu. Uh, we talked to Jason Kalipa, you know, CrossFit games, athlete champion. And, uh, he talks about like AMREP mindset, right? Being present in the moment is what he kind of in his book. And, you know, he says jujitsu is the ultimate, you know, AMREP workout, because if you're not present in the moment, like you're going to get choked and then you're going to be present when you're like, Oh crap, where did I mess up at? You know? Absolutely. And I think jujitsu is like the, it, if you want to get mind body connection, jujitsu is a great sport to develop that. Uh, you can do it through yoga, but if yoga is not your thing, go do jujitsu. <laughs> right. It's forceful yoga. Right. <laughs> so, Hey John, well, you got anything else, man? Uh, I guess, man, just one question we always ask is, um, what's one piece of advice you would give to a practitioner, uh, normally we'll say white blue belt level, um, just to keep them motivated and to have that right mindset approaching jujitsu. Yeah. What I want you to do is I want you to start writing down one goal each day for practice. And I want that goal to be about a specific improvement that you are going to make in your technique. If you do that for four weeks, you're going to learn a lot about how to set goals for yourself, 
how to deal with when you miss them and when you achieve them and how to make the goals progressively more difficult so that you actually feel growth in your skill. Try that for four, for four weeks. I think that's going to fundamentally change how you make an approach towards jujitsu. And then maybe you don't need anything else until your next belt level. It's kind of be willing to go deep so that you master as opposed to wanting to just have everything, but very shallow. Mm. Um, you know, as white belt, should I be great at spider guard, rubber guard, you know, every, every type of guard, right? De La Hiva. Um, (laughs) right. Yeah. (laughs) Versus, Hey, we're working on De La Hiva today. I'm a white belt. What's my goal though? Breathing, (laughs) not holding my breath. So today I'm going to, so, so a good goal, if you're white belt might be, I'm going to notice when I'm not breathing, I'm going to start breathing. That would be the type of goal I'd want you to set. That would be making your skill better. Um, I notice that my entire body is tense. If I'm not using my legs, I need to relax my legs. Right. <laughs> if, if I don't currently have a grip that I'm struggling to hold on to, maybe I don't need to be pumping out my forearm. And so I need to learn how to relax. And so I'm going to make goals that are going to help me build that ability i think that's great i think small goals like that every class is i that's the first time we've heard that one that's a that's a that's a good one though but i remember going through it yeah like gotcha why my bird and i have nothing left in these forearms yeah, yeah. all that work for nothing like, yeah why did they hold that for, yeah. it was stupid yeah i definitely <laughs> can relate to the breathing one because it's definitely there's times when i'll roll one time and i'm like did i breathe like, I am exhausted from that one. Like, I'm lightheaded. You know what I mean? Like, did I just roll that whole time, that whole five minutes, like, with minimal breathing? That's not very smart. That's something that I definitely need to be more present in the moment with is my breathing and uh, and understanding, you know, why I'm doing certain things. So, but hey, Dr. Toby, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. This was a great conversation. I think people are going to find a ton of value in what you said, and I... I think it's people, even if they don't compete and they don't want to be a world champion or perform at the highest level, I still think there's just so much that they can gain from this conversation. So thank you so much for, for coming on today. If people want to uh, follow you or check out your stuff, where can they where can they find you at? Yeah, uh, Instagram, I'm at FitMindTraining. On TikTok, I'm at Dr. Mojo back. On YouTube, I'm at Dr. Toby, and then I'm Toby Larson, M-S-E-D-D, on LinkedIn. Uh, My website is fitmindtraining.com. Perfect, man. Thank you so much for coming on today. John, you got anything else? Nope, thank you. All right, guys. Remember, uh, like, follow, (laughs) like, follow us, elbows tight everywhere, and uh, remember, no oil checks here. All right, guys. Thanks. Peace.